Hello and welcome to the Yoga Life podcast. My name is Kevin and in this podcast we talk about yoga and life, human life, the human experience. Where do we come from? What keeps us alive and thriving? And what kills us or could potentially kill us? These are all important questions but I can't answer them. So today I have with me Dr. Luke O'Neill. Luke is a professor of biochemistry in the School of Biochemistry and Immunology at Trinity. Luke, are you ready for this? There's quite a lot of awards. I'll just give you a few of them. Luke was awarded the Royal Dublin Society and the Irish Times Robert Boyle Medal for Scientific Excellence in 2009, the Royal Irish Academy Gold Medal for Life Sciences in 2012, and the European Federation Immunology Society's Medal in 2014. So Luke is big into the immune system and how we can protect and enhance our immune system to live a fuller life. And with this episode, I got so many questions. Thank you so much for asking things about arthritis, about inflammation, about cancer, about the coronavirus, which is very topical. All really great questions that I made sure I asked on your behalf. So thank you for that. Luke has written two books. He's on his third, which is going to be out for Christmas 2020, where he talks about covering aspects like criminology, about uh, addiction, about cannabis and the use of CBD and treating inflammation for disease. So obviously we, we talk about yoga as well and breathing, cold therapy. There's loads in here. And it was an hour, a very entertaining hour, because Luke is my you know one of those people who's very intelligent but can also be funny and tell stories at the same time so america have neil degrasse tyson we have luke so without further ado here's the man himself so we're talking about weed we are <laughs> to start us off <laughs> how do we get onto that topic so quickly you know uh, but there's a there's a are, are we differentiating between weed and as you mentioned skunk yeah yeah, there, there are newer types of cannabis, if you like, that have been bred that are much stronger. Mm. And they have higher levels of the active ingredient. And therefore, people are taking that stuff and they don't realise that they're actually using stuff that's super, super strength, you see. And it's always about dose, remember? And, mm. you know, moderation is the key in many things. And that includes this. So, so the, the, there's more danger taking stronger weed, I guess, that's full of more, you know, more, more abundant psychoactive substances is the idea. But you, you is that too, is that mic too low for you? By the way, no. Could I, I could heighten it a bit if you want. All right, no, that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, see, I I recently started taking CBD, and I've been putting it in my coffee. I've been, even, uh, and, and I'm, I'm conscious of inflammation. So, uh, am I right in thinking coffee causes inflammation, but then CBD might manage it? Um, <laughs> not as straightforward. But because, I mean, well, caffeine is the other great drug. Remember and. Uh, you know the famous Bill Hicks, you know the comedian, mm-hmm. have you heard of him? His great quote was, you judge a society by the drugs it uses. Mm. And the two that I use in America, you take caffeine all week to make you a productive citizen and alcohol to forget that at the weekend <laughs> and then back to the caffeine again. You know, So caffeine, has it does affect the immune system, caffeine, though. There are some effects on immune cells as well. Mm. Uh, in general, what caffeine does is it makes you more alert, of course, because it antagonises a thing called adenosine in the brain. And adenosine makes you feel sleepy, so you're blocking that with the caffeine. So that's the main effect of caffeine. Um with with cannabis, it's a complex mix of mix of chemicals. Um, you get euphoria off some of them, of course, but some's anti-inflammatory. And in fact, we worked on this a, a few years ago. You know, these cannabinoids they're called. Mm. They suppress inflammation, and of course, CBD oil can have anti-inflammatory effects. You see, mm. and it's very useful for things like epilepsy. Uh, MS patients who get spasms in their muscles, they, they get relief from these cannabinoids, you know. Mm. So, and of course, the ancients knew this. Kevin, I mean, the, the first ever drug I'll have you know depicted in history was a hieroglyph of a little Egyptian guy taking cannabis for eye inflammation. It looks like he was taking it for you know, so for a, for a bong or smoke. Well, I, I don't know what the hieroglyph was. Good question. <laughs> yeah. um, but certainly the ancients knew. Wow. Her, her, herbal remedies work for some things, you know. Cause back in those days, there was no drugs, was there? There was no medicines, and just empirically, they could observe anti-inflammatory effects. And and the first drugs were anti-inflammatory because you could measure inflammation easily. You know, you didn't need a microscope. You were swollen and sore, and that's what inflammation is. So they could use plant extracts to relieve inflammation. So so the, the cannabis has a long history, you know, going through mm. antiquity, you see. What's your new book going to be called? 
Yes, we're trying to finalise the title, Kevin. It could be called Never Mind the Bollocks, Here's the Science. <laughs> <laughs> I, can you use the word bollocks? As well, the can. publisher is looking into it. Can we get permission? Yeah. First of all, it's a Sex Pistols album, as you might remember. Of course, yeah. There could be a copyright issue. But that, that captures the book, Never Mind the Bee, Here's the Science. Yeah. So it's the science behind things like addiction or depression. I've got a chapter on depression. I've got a chapter on euthanasia. I've got a chapter on climate change, obviously, vaccines, my area. Mm. So each chapter is a question, like, why won't you vaccinate your child? You know, why don't you just cheer up? You know, why aren't you in jail? I've got a chapter on uh, criminologies. Why aren't you in jail? That's interesting. Oh, yeah. What's what's that about? Well, I'm trying to use science to inform these big questions you see. So jail is very, why do people commit crime? It's a really interesting question, you know. And uh, that was inspired because I was in Mount Joy Jail giving a talk to the prisoners back back in May this last year about humanology, my first book. And uh, they invited me in and I gave a talk to 100 prisoners. It was brilliant. They'd mm. read the book because it was in the library and they were very interested in the content. And uh, and I asked um, the, the teacher, there's a school in Mount Joy, you know. I said, well, who, what were those men in for? Oh, yeah, big mix of crimes, she says. Uh, one in three are in for drugs, by the way, which gives you an idea if we should legalise drugs because mm. that's ridiculous, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I said, uh, she says to me, yes, yeah, some of them were in for really serious crimes, but the rest are just like you, she says. And I said, what do you mean? Well, you could have ended up in jail if your life took a different path and maybe you're from a disadvantaged background, you take a wrong turning as a teenager. It's pretty random in a way, you know. Mm. And that chapter discusses the basis for criminal behaviour, you know. And, and any of us could commit a crime, you know, and obviously there are some serious crimes as well, but uh, but it's a fascinating topic, you know, and, and the big topic there is, is a genetic, there's evidence of a genetic connection to criminal behaviour, for instance. There's right. a gene called monoamine oxidase A, it's a very technical thing, but there's a variant of that gene which is more common in violent criminals, for instance. So mm. there could be a hardwired aspect to crime as well. So the chapter kind of goes into the whole basis for crime. The, this is, I find this area really interesting, um, because of the Jungian theory of integrating the shadow. And I like the, f- see, the thing is, I was talking to you about when I started yoga and I always felt like I didn't, ha- I didn't have the right temperament for yoga. I was a bit of a hothead um, and I would, I'd like to, um, I like things to be more active and I had, was used to be quite impatient, um, which caused a lot of challenges in relationships. I'd say it did. And then, and then I started realizing that I don't actually have to l- let that side of me go. What I need to do instead is manage it and recognize it. And that that fire can be used for sometimes good. You know, some that's the thing about a lot of um, people when they think of yoga, they think everyone has to be calm. Yeah. You always have to think good thoughts right. and be positive. But the reality is we, we, we think both. And it's just, do you acknowledge that we all have a shadow and can we integrate it and, and put it to good use? So criminology is a, a fascinating topic, but maybe it's just people don't want to admit that they're, they have the ability to yes. be bad. Well, I imagine yoga must be great in prison, isn't it? I don't know how many prisoners do yoga, but uh, mm. you could see it being very beneficial there, couldn't you, in a way? And yeah. so, so I think you're right. I mean, obviously, you know, thought control is the great phrase, isn't it? You know, so I guess if you can master these thoughts and go down a different road, because we're very evolved creatures, remember? I mean, the beauty, I think, of this topic would be we're very complicated creatures in many ways. We overthink things. We're built to be that way. You mm. know, in, in fact, in humanology, I discuss different primates, you know. We're, we would be classified as a mildly anxious primate, you see. So, <laughs> so um, like the orangutan, he must be doing yoga all day long. He just <laughs> sits there in the jungle, enjoys himself. The marmoset is the most anxious primate. He's, he's fidgeting. and he's, We're kind of in the middle, you know. And that's obviously a survival thing. The reason why you're on edge or you're, you're alert is to survive, you know, because there's a dangerous world out there, you know, and, the, and there's the predator-prey thing going on. So, so it looks as if our, our temperament is set to be slightly anxious, it turns out we think you know and that's natural there's nothing wrong with that but obviously you want to control it and then not let it go down too much in that direction because that can be too damaging I guess. and i suppose if you don't then have an outlet for that it's going to come out in different ways and is, is that maybe if it came out comes out in different ways what could that manifest as well at the extreme end there's things like adhd you know this is a real condition and some kids have attention deficit disorder and they're buzzing the whole time you know yeah. and again that could be partly genetic there's some evidence of genes being slightly different in those kids potentially although that can be hard to prove but uh, but there's a whole range and as you know given psychologists sort of put us in boxes with our personalities this is stupid because you can't really say you're definitely an extrovert 
there were always a mix, you know, they mm. reckon in this. So uh, the problem with this is the science behind it can be very flaky, in my opinion anyway, you know. I'm always sceptical of a psychological scientific thing sometimes because it can be based on filling in a form. So I give it to 50 people and they say how they're feeling. You know, that's hard, that's hard to control in a way, you know. So it can mm. be hard to pin these things down. Mm. But there's no doubt there's different personality types that we all know that, don't we, you know. And, and is that because it's how you learn as you're growing up? Is it partly genetic, you know? And then, as you were saying, can you overcome these innate tendencies? And, and of course, we can. We can master. Mm. The, the, one reason for success in life is mastery of these innate built-in responses and sadly some people can't and then they might end up committing a crime you know so mm -hmm. um, and I'm very sympathetic about that by the way I mean the whole criminal thing is a fascinating topic isn't it we could we all have the capacity to be criminals and some of us make a bad decision you know and then you end up getting in with the wrong group or whatever it might be and the deprivation can be a big part of this as well so mm -hmm. so these, these are fascinating topics I think in terms of explaining what it is to be human I suppose well what and actually it's interesting to say that what it is to be human because I've I wanted to ask you, and and it, two things. One, we all, we are complicated, so we can't put each other into people into boxes. But also, um, the the journey of of, of humans. So, um, what what ha what has been our journey? You mean an evolutionary term? <laughs> yeah, because because I was th I was the other day I was reading about Australia and how. And a quick little, um, if people don't know this, but um, Australia, now I could be wrong, so you tell me if I'm wrong here, but Australia was uh, inhabited by what they call POMs, Prisons of Her Majesty's Service. So yep. British, British convicts were sent over to Australia to be, uh, maybe as punishment or to do manual work, I'm not sure. But essentially they're put on ships from Britain and sent to Australia. So just to show you that some nations have been built on criminals hopefully the whole of australia doesn't yeah. help me hate me now <laughs> but this fascinated me to think like where have we come from like where has so my my question is to you luke um yeah where how yeah. what's been the human journey that's a great example they've studied that by the way so if you have a nation that's descended from criminals there should be a higher rate of crime in that society if it's hardwired and that's not the case so many people that were shipped to Australia were poor. They robbed a loaf of bread or whatever, you know. Or, and some of the Irish rebels were sent there, you know. So it's not just, it's not the case that they were all psychopathic criminals by any means. They're just like anybody else. You know? And that tells us that criminal behaviour is a common thing among us all, you know. And, and if you commit a crime, you're just like anybody else, really. So that just proves the fact that the, the genetic bit is less evident in a sense, you mm. know. Um, and then, of course, talking about the history of humans, Australia is a great, the, the native Australian people. I mean, they are a highly skilled people. They survived in a very harsh environment, remember. Mm. And they were at one with their environment. They developed a fantastic sense of direction, for instance, because and that could be partly genetic. In other words, the ones who survived could find their way back to the watering hole, you know, whatever. Mm. And so evolution, it's all about evolution, of course, remember. Uh, the body you're sitting there in there talking to me in is a result of, I don't know, a million years of evolution or something like that. Mm -hmm. You've been sculpted based on the pressures put on you, you see. Because <laughs> all life on Earth is the classic Darwinian survival of the fittest, you see. So if you're weak, you might die and then your genes won't pass on to the next generation. So evolution is always sculpting us, you know, every form of life on Earth is being sculpted by evolution. Mm -hmm. So we obviously evolved like any other primate. The great analogy is if you go back 300,000 years, we would be classed as a third species of chimp. There was nothing that marked us out especially different, you know. And then we begin to change. We begin to use tools in very clever ways. We begin to bury our dead ritualistically the, the, you can see this in the in archaeological records so something happens to to make us on the track to where we are now you see um and it's a big interesting question what what genes change there and, and people have hypothesized it could be a voice box gene you can communicate more effectively maybe a wiring gene in the brain we don't we don't know mm. the great writers like like um jared diamond and uh, yuval harari wrote sapiens goes into this in great detail you know it's a, it's a fantastic topic in a sense because if you look at us our behavior now through the lens of evolution, you can begin to explain why we are the way we are, in mm. a sense, you know. So clearly we have the Maslow's hierarchy of needs thing, you know, the way the base needs are hunger, thirst, and you've got to satisfy those first. Mm -hmm. But then as you get to humans, you get more elaborate needs. And our, our top need is, is called self-actualization. Have you ever heard of this? Yes. That's the biggest one. Yeah. So we're so aware of ourselves, and we've got so many talents, and, and, and that means achieving your life goal through expressing your talent. And that's what self-actualization is. And it's a fascination. And, and, and you can see that might have evolved because if you are talented, 
you may get a mate more readily, you see, mm. and your genes might pass on then to the next generation and those traits then begin to persist, you see. So, so it's been a long journey to get to us. The, the other thing I tell people, it's all random. So if you play the tape again, you mightn't end up with us, you see. So, so what I mean by that is if the dinosaurs hadn't become extinct, we wouldn't have evolved. Mm. So that meteorite had to slam into the Earth 60 million years ago. That's what we think happened, by the way. There's evidence for this, scientific evidence. Dust goes up and all the dinosaurs die out. A tiny shrew-like creature is our ancestor. That evolves into us over the next 60 million years, long time, mm-hmm. and gets to us. If those dinosaurs had, had, had been around, there'd be no room for the shrew to evolve, you see. It, it was too crowded. You see. So, now, of course, it, this brings a fascinating thing, is if you believe in God, that God send down the meteorite <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to allow us to evolve. We don't think so. It's a random event, that meteorite slamming into the earth, and then yeah. the evolution can play out, I suppose. So it's funny, isn't it, the way these things are, people think of these things. But then what, so if it's, since we've evolved, and I, I and we've come from Africa, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And spread yeah. across. Um, what then causes disease? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I think that there's, there's different types of diseases. I mean, if you look at um, infectious diseases were the big ones that killed us before antibiotics were discovered. And that was happening with agriculture was invented. We discover how to stop being nomadic and we start planting stuff. And then towns and cities begin to grow. Overcrowding, then infections begin to spread. Because remember, life is a battle with every other type of organism on Earth. Bacteria want to live in your body, you know. Mm. Your immune system evolved to kill those bacteria, those viruses, and that's why we have an immune system. And that was, again, evolution plays out, and now we can defend ourselves against infections. They become disease-causing if the dose is too high, if you pick up an infection from someone who's got loads of bacteria in them and you, you're living with them in, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a mud hut somewhere or whatever it is. Mm. So infections begin to spread and begin to run rampant. I mean, as you may know, through London, the plague, you know, mm. massive deaths. Even 100 years ago, the big cause of death was infectious diseases, you see. Mm. Then we discover, because we're all living in cities, and remember, the other big factor there is stress, as we were said earlier. If, you, if, you're, if you're stressed, your immune system doesn't work as well, so the infection gets a foothold. Mm. So disease is a consequence of either in the wrong place at the wrong time, picking up an infectious agent, being slightly weaker, and your immune system doesn't work properly, then the disease might get a foothold and then begin to develop. That's one type of disease. The other one is when you've got something sort of genetically wrong in your body and the genes don't work properly. Cystic fibrosis is a good example. It's a broken gene, and that promotes that disease. Mm. Uh, cancer is where genes get mutated, and then tumors start to grow. So it can be due to mutation, I suppose, is the mm. way to think of that one. The ones that we work on, though, are autoimmune, where the immune system goes crazy and begins to attack your own tissues, you see. And then mm. that can be very problematic, like colitis and you know MS in the brain, for instance. So, And we don't know what causes those. It's, it's a mystery what's causing that. You said the C word, and I, have, I, have to, I know... Um, um, this is a a, a topic that's really uh, close to a lot of people's hearts because a lot of people are affected by cancer and I I don't want to make this question too generic but I heard that uh, like something like two thirds of cancer is not lifestyle at all it's actually just one of the um, what's the word it's luck is that that true yeah yeah some cancers arise even in children horrible kids getting leukemia that's just a genetic mutation that Mm. happens uh, some are born with the mutation and it develops as they get older, you know, and this this is through no fault of their own in a way, you know, you might say. So there are some of these sporadic cancers that happen spontaneously because of some kind of mutation event. Yeah. Mostly, though, it is an environmental trigger okay. that causes the gene to mutate. Mm. Smoking is the big example that we have. I mean, that was amazes me. For 35 years, the science was compelling and people kept on smoking. The laws didn't change. You <laughs> know, it's mm. strange. Now it has changed. Mm. So there's carcinogens, chemicals in smoke that mutate your DNA and now that mutation gives rise to a different protein being made that causes the cells to grow out of control and, and the tumour then grows, you know. Mm. So so most cancers are driven environmentally. Uh, UV light will cause melanoma from sunlight in the skin. Again, mm, that's causing course. a mutation event, you know. So so a, lo- a lot of them, well, a lot of them are, are, are environmentally driven but there is a genetic component as well. It's often the two go hand in hand in a way, you see. And then some of the environmental things we can't control anyway. I mean, non-smokers get lung cancer, some of them. Now, what's going on there? Did they yeah. inhale some toxin by accident? or, You know, so that's a funny one. But, but the truth is, a lot of it's down to environmental influence. Well, one thing we can't control, and I'm really conscious of it is, and I don't know if there's a link, but Wi-Fi. Yes. Is there, is there like, the whole 5G thing is happening now. They're trying to implement 5G across Ireland. 
Is, what are your thoughts on that in terms of effects on health? Yeah, I don't know, but there is a question about 5G at the moment out there now. Now, that, that began with, like, mobile phones that they give you cancer, you know, and that they don't, you know, okay. or these masks. Actually, my mobile's in my pocket, oh, just God in Lord. case, though. It's right next to my... Remove it from your key organ there. The key, <laughs> <laughs> key organ. <laughs> you got like, the wrong way. Awesome, um, but the, um, you know, those masks where they causing radiation and all this wind turbines and there's never any evidence for that it's very strange okay so there's no evidence that wi-fi signals are going to cause a genetic change right because what you want to prove then is i mean there, there may be evidence in that there could be sporadic cancers around masks or whatever but but the real proof would be what's the mechanism so and, and i'm very as a scientist i want to know what exactly is going on here you got to prove that there's something in a wi-fi signal that's causing a genetic change that allows a tumour to grow. And they've done that with cigarette smoke, for instance, that gives mice cancer, so we know there's some direct effect, like I measure the genes changing, you see. So so with, with this sort of Wi-Fi idea, I'd like there needs to be more evidence. I think the evidence is scrappy. And maybe oh. over a longer period of time, because we've only had Wi-Fi for, what, 15? I don't know how long it for, but... But there's, there's no plausible hypothesis at the moment how no. we do it, you know. Okay. So I'd be leaning towards it being unlikely. But then science has to be open. If someone can get evidence... That's really compelling. You've got to look at the evidence and go, well, hang on a minute, there's something going on here. But at the moment, there's no link. Mm. Oh, actually, I want to make it, you mentioned the word stress as well. And this is something we talk about a lot in yoga. But to differentiate between acute stress and chronic stress, mm. because, um, for example, you know, when you do a yoga practice, you are stressing yourself. You, you, it, but then I th I, my theory is that I then when I find myself in a stressful situation, I know how to manage it better because I've already replicated that on the mat, as it were. But... Um, in terms of cr like chronic stress, yeah. and we talked about social media just before we started recording, yeah. is there can that cause inflammation? Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of stuff on this. In fact, if you look at immunology as a science, uh, the really hot area is the brain immune axis, and that used to be very flaky and dodgy, and you did the studies were rubbish. In the last ten years, that's got better and better. There's no question the brain talks to the immune system and vice versa. They're very much together. And it makes sense in a way, because your brain is there to, to sense the environment. That's what the immune system does. It's sensing infection, it's sensing damage, injury, and, and fixing. The immune system is a wonderful thing. It fixes your body when it's broken, basically. You know. Mm. Now, we know that stress is bad for the immune system. There's loads of studies confirm that, especially chronic stress. And there's a real, as you say, there's a, a psychologists would know this, there's a real difference between acute and chronic stress. Acute is adrenaline. Mm. And that's the flight or fight response, I suppose. That boosts the immune system because mm. if, you're, if you're threatened, let's say you're coming towards me aggressively or there's something dangerous about to happen, I could get injured and my skin might get cut and the immune system is ready, you know, to fight any infection that goes into your body. So, yeah. so low-level adrenaline is really good for our immune system. We need it, actually, to be honest. I mean, there are studies out there showing if someone retires... <laughs> That's dangerous because now the, in, the, in your day-to-day -day life, someone's going to annoy you, cut you out in the traffic, and that's good, the adrenaline. If you go into sort of a state that's more, you know, refractory, let's say when you retire, you're just sitting on the TV all day, that ramping down adrenaline can be a bad thing. And now the immune system doesn't work properly, you know. So, mm. so that's, that's the downside of that. So, so we know acute stress is good. If that turns into chronic stress, that's definitely bad. And low-level chronic stress, again, increased risk of infection, increased risk of cancer. There's a link with the immune system now not working properly. And you see, remember, the immune system also c kills tumours. Its job is twofold. It kills bacteria and viruses. But it eliminates tumour cells as well. Mm -hmm. And if that begins to ramp down, then there's a higher risk of, of cancer as well. So, And again, getting back to my previous comment, mechanistically, we think we know it's to do with cortisol. Yes. That's a hormone mm. that comes out during chronic stress, and that definitely limits the immune system. So mm. we, have a, we have a reasonable scientific basis now to claim that chronic stress is bad, you know, and we limit that process. It's funny you say about like, retirement and relaxing and, and, and kind of not getting yourself involved in stress. It's a bit like I have a bath that I just got here, just in, recently installed, and uh, the girlfriend likes to take hot baths. I take cold baths. I have a, do my practice in the morning, and I get in and have a cold bath. And I feel... Initially, it's I have that uh, I d I'm doing it basically because uh, I just I have no evidence, but I, I've heard it's good for you. Oh, yeah. and, and I feel so much. I, I just feel better. I don't know. Is there a link between um, cold therapy yeah. and like your immune system? Absolutely. There's great stuff on this now, to be honest. And the, the Scandinavians have studied this in detail because they often jump into the, the ice <laughs> lake or whatever it is. You know, so, and, and there is good evidence a cold 
immersion is good for you, right? And these winter swimmers have been studied a lot. You know, the ones who jump into the 40 foot or whatever. Yeah. Not those specifically, but people have studied this cold. There are a group of people who love go, going into the cold water in the winter. Mm. Very strong immune systems. Now, the question then becomes, why is that? Uh, there's two options. The cold shock might be good for you and your body makes adrenaline or, you know, you get some kind of shock event that's good for you. you know? Yeah. The second one interesting is, is social activity. They reckon that's a big part of this. If you go for a swim with your friends, it's a bit stressful because like, we're all going to jump in together and mm-hmm. and you're talking about it and then you're distracted from your day-to-day lives in a way, you know, and, yeah. and it gets back to the one of the key things I guess we might talk about is the, the idea of getting your mind into a different place. If you've got to concentrate on the pain of the cold bath, you're not worried, your worries are going to dissipate. It's like, yeah. see, and that's got to be beneficial as well. So, Vim Hoff is the key guy for this. You know, he, I mean, he's famous. He's, this, the, da- you know. he's the daddy of this. He's the daddy of it. But, but there's been lots of good studies done, and, and it benefits cancer patients, for instance, cold immersion. Right. And again, that might relieve some of the problems with chemo or maybe even enhance treatment responses. It's great, you know. I, I spoke about this on the radio a couple of years ago, and a guy in the north emailed me. He, he's dug a special pond in his back garden, a big pond, because mm. he wasn't near the sea. And people go in every day and have a... Wow. Cold, cold session in the in the cold lake, yeah. as it were, you know, and, and and he says it's very beneficial. So, so it's, it's something that we should promote in a way. Now, I don't like it. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> you know, I don't do it myself. But uh, but fair play to you. If you're you're having a cold dunk, uh, yeah. it's got to be good. It's, I, I do ten breaths. That's my. It's, uh, that's my. Do you yeah. do you do a show on news talk? I do. But yeah, I I do that because what I've realised, uh, Luke, is that I have i'm my dad who's actually downstairs doing the work doing the work and his dad and his dad and all my forefathers they were all manual workers or they all did something with their hands they had periods of their life where they were there was no heating in the house no central heating they had concrete floors when they were young that was and it was the same probably for generations they had times where they didn't eat they couldn't eat um and what i i think and i don't know this again i have no evidence on this but that I try to practice not eating in, yep. not in taking periods, and it's very difficult uh, because I get bored. <laughs> I'm like, I, that's my hobby, making sandwiches yeah. or whatever. I need a Mars bar <laughs> to cheer me up. Exactly. So, so the cold—that's great to hear about the cold because I was thinking I'm just being a nut here doing this. But, but what about um, not eating? Yeah. As in. Um, like not starvation, yeah. but fasting. But again, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's no coincidence that certain religions recommended fasting, remember, because th- again, the ancients kind of knew that might be beneficial, you see. Mm. And the evidence is strong. So if you have caloric restriction, we call this, by the way, if, if every second day, if you don't eat or whatever it might be, that's very beneficial for our body as well. And again, gets back to the evolutionary question. So we evolved to live on the savannas of Africa. And what that meant was you, you, you cut the antelope or whatever and you ate it you know you gorged and then you ran to get to the next antelope and that might be a day later and you'd be hungry the next day and you'd be so the natural Mm. our bodies are kind of built to have periods of hunger and periods of being full you know and if you you replicate that now in the modern world the view is that that's going to be beneficial you see Mm. and there's loads of studies on on restricting calories being beneficial it's incredible they've done it on humans they've done it on primates now obviously some of the animal work isn't fantastic anymore, but they've proven it in animals. Mm. Benefits them tremendously. It slows down the aging process, for instance. Your mm. tissues are aging more slowly if you restrict calories. So there's something going on there. And, and in fact, my lab at the moment, we work on this. It's, it's called metabolism and how, how our bodies handle nutrients. And biochemists have studied this for a long time and how you make sort of fuel and how you burn fuel and stuff and you release energy from carbohydrates. That, that's classic biochemistry. The immune system burns fuel as well, remember. Mm. And if you overeat and if you're obese, that really irritates the immune system because it goes into overdrive. It's like you're feeding it too many Mars bars. <laughs> and then there's a, an exhaust fume comes off and that's damaging for your tissues. So, so hence, if you starve yourself, the immune system quite likes that. You know, it, it kind of ramps down and recovers from the, the fight, I guess, and then gets better. So, so it's a very interesting area and there's very good science behind it, which, mm-hmm. is, which is good. Yeah, I tried, uh, I think the, um, I think uh, I, I've actually, I'm conscious that a lot of people ask questions and I wrote them down so on my phone. So I'm going to, because um, I'm conscious of your time. Uh, by the way, it's, what time is it what now? Time is it? It's two o'clock. Yeah. How long we got? About another 30 minutes. Okay, great. So, let's do this. Because I'm just being selfish asking questions. Go ahead. I, I don't mind. It's like I've fed them to you. They're great questions. <laughs> Thank keep you. Keep them coming. It's great. 
And I do want to talk about cannabis again, yes. um, just because I think also the, the political side of that and yep. what's happening in Ireland. Um, and uh, Anyway, um, so first question was cause and effect of information and lifestyle changes that can reduce it. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, what, what that person's wondering is um, does something happen and you get inflamed or is inflammation causing the problem, if you know what I mean? Mm. So, so there's no doubt that um, with autoimmune diseases like arthritis, the inflammation starts. It burns away and your joints get destroyed in arthritis, for example, or the myelin in your brain is eaten away. So that, that's so the inflammation is causing all the damage there. And we know this because if you block inflammation in various ways, you can relieve some of those symptoms, I guess. So that, that tells us that, in, that inflammation is causative there. But there are things you can do to your body that make inflammation worse, you see. So, and obesity is a big one. That really boosts the inflammatory process. And now you might, and uh, people who are obese, sadly, they get all much higher incidence of these inflammatory diseases because their inflammatory process is in overdrive, you know. So it can go both ways, I guess. Autoimmunity is what we call it when it's not your fault, if you, not that, I won't blame anybody for diseases, but but autoimmunity will happen just spontaneously, and that your your immune system turns on yourself. We don't fully know why. It's a mystery. Mm. You know, so it, goes, it goes rogue. Basically, we'd love to know why that is, of course, but it just begins to go off kilter. You know, and nothing you're doing wrong. Yeah. You can have very healthy people, good diet, ex- and they're getting arthritis. You know, so it can't just be a case of lifestyle. There's something else going on there that we don't fully understand. You know, is that is colitis considered autoimmune? Yes, there, there's, there's two types of colitis, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, and they're both autoimmune, absolutely. The immune system, again, begins to attack your gut for some unknown reason. The, the good analogy here is the immune system is there to fight infection. Mm. An invader comes in and your immune system responds. These diseases are civil war. Your own troops are turning on your own tissues, and, and we don't know why. This is the $60 million question why these diseases happen, you know. Mm. And there's a few ideas out there, but still no clue. You know, and it's luck. I mean, you you can be sitting watching the telly one day and you feel a soreness in your hand and arthritis develops. Your brother doesn't get it, you know, or, mm. or your your classmate or whatever. So it's funny. It's kind of random in a way. You know? I'm conscious of repetitive strain injury from doing yoga. You're always doing a similar movement where the wrist is in a lot of extension, as in like this. Yeah. And I'm, I, I imagine repetitive strain injury does yeah. that maybe contribute towards arthritis? Absolutely. Well, there's no question that it's real, obviously, in people who say, um, a good example is violinists, to be honest. They often get repetitive strain, musicians, because right. they're always using their hands and their fingers. Mm. Uh, and there is a definite link to osteoarthritis. So if you damage joints, and it can be a sports injury, it can be repetitive use, that you're, you're wearing away at the tissue. And as you get older then, arthritis begins to develop, you see. And it's more me- osteoarthritis is more mechanical. Rheumatoid is where the immune system is really out of control and beating up the joint. Osteo is more like a mechanical thing when the okay. cartilage begins to wear away. But there is a link to overuse. And is there any studies on that? <laughs> I hate to question your 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 yoga professional. I put people off. But is there any evidence that people who do yoga are inclined to get repetitive strain injury? I wonder. No, the only thing I, I've seen is that um, there's there was a thing on the BBC website before Christmas about hip surgeries in yoga. And that people are doing essentially too much stretching of the hips yeah. and not enough strengthening. Right. And it, because there's uh, flexibility is, I'm trying to say this word, fetish, fetish is, it's like a fetish. Yes. Fetishized. Yeah. yeah. Right. Basically, people, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? They obsess over yeah, they flexibility. Obsess over and like, I want to get and my And they keep behind. doing it. Yeah. And, all that and you're pushing yourself to a point where you can't. So, this hip surgeon from the UK was saying how this is a big problem and right. he sees a lot of people who do yoga getting hip surgery in their 40s yep. replacing right. hips. Well, one thing we know for sure, uh, moderation is your friend always in everything, let's face it. So if you mm. overdo anything, your body doesn't like it. And, and that's got to be the message, I mm. suppose. Like, the, you, you, I always, I'm not a great man for exercise. I walk everywhere, which is my main way. But you know these famous marathon owners who drop dead in their 50s and I go, ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> not to be cruel. But, uh, and, and, and the only reason is they're overdoing it. They're doing too many marathons, you know, and your body's like a machine. If you keep battering away at the car it's going to break down you know so so moderation <laughs> is the answer and, and also variety as well is i think sometimes we do the same thing over and over again and it's like the guy the first time i heard of a petty strain injury was from uh the guitarist in status quo oh, <laughs> well they played one chord the whole time exactly yeah. exactly i thought oh, that sounds interesting <laughs> that was ages ago i wonder how he is now uh, but um, and I think they had like three songs. Yeah. Unless yeah. oh, they were good. Say this guy. Let's not knock them. Yeah. Rockers. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great uh, garage uh, pub rock. Great. Yeah. Pub rock, <laughs> exactly. Whatever you call. Uh, oh, here we go. Topical. <clears throat> 
what can I do to be safe against coronavirus? Oh, yes, very topical. Yeah, now that's uh, very, for me, uh, I hate to say this, we love coronavirus because <laughs> it, my day job is trying to understand this and keep me, keep me in the living for a while. You know? <laughs> um, well, it's a strange one, this, a brand new virus. Now, now of course, when a new virus emerged, I was, I was in Rotterdam last week at a conference with the world expert on coronavirus. Oh, it was wow. fantastic. And he was telling me all about it. Now, SARS was the previous one, remember SARS? Few years was that ago, from China too? Yep, that was 2003. There was MERS in the Middle East. Mm. Uh, that was a similar family. So, and they've looked at these closely. Um, and this is a new one. Now, if it's new, you got to be alert because maybe it could be dangerous and be more damaging. So far, it doesn't seem to be. I mean, it, it, it is causing a certain amount of fatalities. The numbers are still tiny, though. Okay? Every day in the news, oh, 500 have died. Sure, sure, thousands are dying by falling down the stairs in China every day. You know, mm. so it's very strange how, how mm. we're now obsessing. And there's politics here to get a dig in economically to the Chinese, yeah. partly, you know. Um, but it's like any respiratory disease. So it's like flu. Flu is much more dangerous, by the way, at the moment. Mm. Although there is one concern that... Um, there's a higher fatality rate at the moment in, in, in the coronavirus outbreak than regular flu. It looks like slightly more damaging. But the people who are dying are inclined to be older people who've got other diseases, mm-hmm. you see, so th- and their immune systems don't work properly, I suppose, because they're older. So, But in general terms, most people, if they get infected, they'll fight the infection and get better. So nothing to worry about here at the moment for okay. definite, you see. But then if you're a virologist, you got to look at it because it could mutate and get more virulent. It's, it's unlikely, very unlikely, but still there's a risk of that maybe. Mm-hmm. And until we see it... it in millions of people say you can't predict the full damage it might do but at the moment it, it, it's not not, not not really a concern and the World Health Organization are criticising countries now saying don't be attacking the Chinese here you know you're stopping them travelling that's not really you know acceptable in a way so so at the moment it's one to watch but, it, but it's, not, it's not a huge concern mm. I lived in Korea for a while and everywhere you, every time you went into the school you would put, use this alcohol thing on your hands people wear surgical masks and um, and I, I mean, I had, had read before that that's you're killing the good bacteria, and, and therefore you're you're sterilizing the whole lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. But is that that's oh yeah yeah that's yeah. a good one. I mean, there's no que- see one big question if you're an immunologist as well among the many questions. These autoimmune diseases are on the rise. The incidence is growing. And a good example is asthma. That really has gone up a lot in the last, say, 30, 40 years in people. Really? And it's a common disease now in schools. There'll be kids in the class with asthma. And that wasn't the case 50, 30, 40 years ago. Like our dad's generation, they didn't see much asthma, strangely. There were some cases. but So why is that? Uh, and colitis is going up. They're all on the increase. So something's happening in the environment. And the best bet is we're too clean. So if you don't <laughs> expose a baby especially actually children, to dirt occasionally. The immune system doesn't learn, you know. And it's like any other education. The immune system has to tell friend from foe. If it never sees the foe, it might start to react on you, you know. So in other words, we think it's to do with education of the immune system so so a bit of dirt is good now i'm not talking about serious dirt i'm talking about go and play in the garden or eat soil the studies where they've given kids little bits of soil right and that will protect them against asthma in, in later in their lives it's amazing wouldn't that contain uh, potentially bits of feces that's the, the worry would be dog feces not great do okay think. but it turns out um being on a farm is great and it's regular cow dung, I suppose. Farm animals, their dung or whatever, little bits of bacteria go into your system and then trains the immune system, you see. So, so it's a very active area. That It's called the hygiene hypothesis because being too clean then is bad. So if you spray all the surfaces and you're using all these things, no, don't do that. Now, clearly, if you're older and, and, and you're in your 70s and you might get exposed to a virus, then you might wipe surfaces for that person. Because But if you're a regular healthy individual, you don't need to be wiping surfaces. It's over the top, you know. Do do this? I, I was telling um, someone that you were on the podcast, and I was saying about how um, uh, this person is, is pregnant, and was saying about you know how to be healthy with your immune system while you're pregnant. And then I, I mentioned like I think it's probably good to like t- to be outside a bit. Um, and they said that um, that goats cause miscarriages. Have you heard this? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> that was it. That was the, that was the bold statement. Goats cause miscarriage. Yeah. I said, um, okay. Well, is that person part of the anti-goat league? <laughs> to get rid of goat? I'll tell you one thing. Kevin. They've done a study where women who are, are uh, you know pregnant who live on a farm, just living on a farm for three or four months, the chance of their baby having asthma is lowered. Isn't that amazing? There's mm. statistical evidence for that. So the advice to your friend is to spend a bit of time on a farm, yeah. because again, even in utero. 
the fetus is learning and the immune system is developing, remember. So if a bit of dirt goes in there, you, that's good. You know, mm. so that's, that's beneficial, I guess, in a sense. Yeah, so th- so don't be too clean. Basically. Don't be too clean, yeah, yeah exactly. is the idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, it's come up again. Well, I actually someone asked about um, causes of cancer, but we, we spoke about that. Oh, here's one. Um, the flu, you mentioned yep. the flu. Yep. What about the flu during pregnancy? Is that Yes, that's a good question. Because yeah. people say, get the flu shot uh, before you get pregnant or while you're pregnant. Yeah. But then doesn't it give you a bit of the flu? And how dangerous is it to have the flu? When you yeah, I don't know exactly. But I do know, see, if you're pregnant, it's a vulnerable time. You got to be careful, obviously, in various ways, you know, and and it just the symptoms might be worse. So you might feel even iller if you have the flu while you're pregnant, maybe. So that's why they might recommend, mm. you know, to now remember the the pregnant state is the fascination for immunologists because you've got to have immunosuppression, otherwise you reject the fetus. Oh wow! Because that's like a little alien inside your body, and there are complications of pregnancy where you reject your own fetus. It's you know this can mm. happen. You see, mm. there's now preeclampsia, which is part of this as well. So so it's, the immune system during pregnancy is a fascination. You see because it's changing in various ways and mm. i'm not sure about the flu yeah what the recommendation is there mind you yeah so um, so i do want to talk about cannabis because this is like something i've been <laughs> interested in before and i'm um, not from a recreational point of view in fact just to say even yeah. though i've got nothing to hide yep. um i have smoked cannabis a fair bit during my 20s and it never really agreed with me i would yep. go to a party have a few beers smoke smoke half a joint yeah and then just be no use to anyone <laughs> just sit in the corner saying what happened to kev why is his face hanging off his <laughs> off his head well you're happy okay yeah. <laughs> i was having a great time great inside time. Yeah, yeah. but um no, i was I wasn't adding any value to no. anyone else's night yeah. um but from a, a health point of view um what for a start what is the best way to ingest it yeah, well, again, what's a striking fact, how, how it's being legalised in America. Who would have thought, of all the countries, you think we're the most sort of conservative. Now, it's not legal federally, remember, it's just legal in states. Yes, and California, okay. Colorado, I was in Colorado last week, two weeks ago. You can buy it in shops now, you can go in and buy it. Yeah. And it's like a beer, really. And there's the, 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 the brewing companies are getting into it because they were, oh, this is competition now. You, know? mm. you can even get a beer with cannabis extract in it. Oh, wow. <laughs> As a double whammy, you <laughs> know, so... Um, just shows you, doesn't it, you see, yeah. Well, again, uh, you know, you can smoke it and that will release some of the chemicals into your lungs and then goes into your circulation. You can eat it, you know, and then through your stomach. It mm. goes in. It, the, the trick is to get the stuff into your circulation mm. and then it goes to your brain where the psychoactive things happen, you know. Mm. But it goes all over your body, you remember. And, and the receptors for cannabinoids, which is the active thing, they're in many cell types in your body, you see. So so it goes systemic. The, if it, the, the trick would be to get it to go systemic, which means to eat or smoke or, or even rub it in the skin people mm. have often use oils so all, all these are a way to get the the uh, the, the active ingredients in, into the body and as i said earlier the, the, the cannabinoids they don't have the psychoactive effects but they're potently anti-inflammatory so it's a, it's a complex mixture one getting back to evolution you have why, why did cannabis evolve you know, it wasn't for our benefit you see mm. uh, it's to affect insects so if the ins they reckon this is a, if the insect is feeding on a cannabis and it gets stoned and falls off, you know, yeah, so that may be a way to protect uh, oh, the plant. Oh, okay, yeah, and so it's the survival. same with psilocybin. The, the psych- psychedelics that occur in like mushrooms or in um, peyote cactus, they're insecticides because the the spider. There's a great study, Kevin, that given spiders drugs, right. If you give it cocaine, a very intense web gets weaved. Yeah. If you give it LSD, a wacky web gets weaved. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's because they've got the same kind of receptors as our brains. And, and so they, they prob- those drugs, as we would see them, those drugs, they evolved probably as insecticides is the idea you see. So mm. it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, the basis for these things. But does that mean then if we, if we split the, the, the plant between in, uh, like CBD and THC? So if you take yep. something that's just CBD and doesn't have THC, it, it can help you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. The CBD part will have anti-inflammatory effects. It'll mm. regulate muscle spasm, as I mentioned earlier. That's a mm. great benefit from that. So it's a regular drug, really. You know, The, the big question now would be, can, can you... And drug companies are developing mimics of this, by the way, that would be a, a chemical that would be just as good as the natural stuff, you see. Because otherwise you've got you to extract it from the plant, which is difficult to do. So mm. so this is, there's real pharmacology, as we call this, in, in, in that class of chemicals that's compelling. The psychoactive part is equally interesting, of course, like what's that doing? What, what's that binding to the brain? It's operating certain pathways. We know it represses something called GABA, which is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So there's a fair bit of knowledge about the neurochemistry of the brain when, when you stick in THC, for instance, you mm. see. And then a 
of course, the downside of all this is um, the teenage brain, as I mentioned in particular. There's loads of studies on that. Demotivation, altering the wiring of the pathways. And there's evidence, there was a big study last year actually showing the, the, the harmfulness in a teenage brain of high dose. The, the dreaded skunk and so on, which have 10 times the level of these things than the normal, or whatever the number is, it's certainly more abundant in them. Um, that, that can have long-term negative effects. But if you're an adult and you smoke a joint or whatever, that's like having a double brandy in a sense, you know, mm. so, which is dangerous itself. You, you, yeah. th- you think too, isn't it? Alcohol <laughs> is equally bad. Um, but, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say they're harmless, but certainly there's no reason to make it illegal. That, that's outrageous, you know. But, but you said, talking about alcohol, actually, isn't, a certain amount of alcohol quite good for you? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, there's lots of studies on that as well. So um, the, the current massive studies done on this, Kevin, by the way, we're talking like millions of people being studied. Yeah. So uh, the, the beneficial effect is maybe in the middle. So if you have one drink a day, that's not great. Two drinks seems to be beneficial, like two glasses of wine. Two is a day. beneficial. Yep. Fair dose. Go over to four and now you're in trouble because it gets <laughs> toxic. Again, it's the, the idea of moderation in a way. And lots of studies have shown this. So the question is, why does low levels of alcohol benefit us in a way? Now, there's two options. The alcohol itself is having a beneficial effect on anti-inflammatory or in the brain or whatever it'll de-stress of course because alcohol is a depressant remember and it shuts down the anxious part of your brain that's why you feel a bit better on alcohol because your anxiety neurons or whatever they are stop firing as much so you feel a bit more relaxed and that would have health benefits obviously but yet again they've shown it's not necessarily the alcohol it's the social activity okay so if you go for a drink with your mate it's actually the social exchange that's that's benefiting you because we're social animals. Again, going back to the evolutionary thing, we evolved to be social. You know? And if you're lonely or you're isolated, that's a big negative for our mm. bodies. So again, it looks like alcohol might be promoting. So a cup of coffee might do the trick is the other thing, by the way. I mean, And as you may know, in the 17th, 18th century, all these coffee houses grow up in London. The Quakers begin funding them because they don't want alcohol. That gives rise to the, the enlightenment because people are now socialising and they're discussing big topics and mm-hmm. the Royal Society met in a coffee house, you know, this kind of thing, you know. So, so it's funny, isn't it? So, so a lot of it could be social. It, yeah. it isn't necessarily the, um, the alcohol itself. I wonder how that's affecting the economy and society in general. People drinking more coffee instead of alcohol. Like, are people just way more productive now? Good, well, <laughs> well, there's a great quote there. Yeah, which I have my new book. Have you heard of Bill Hicks, the comedian? He was yeah. a very funny guy. He, he passed away of cancer, Sam. Yeah, yeah. He said a great thing. He said, you judge a society by the drugs that it's using. Okay. Yeah. So American society, you work all week and you drink caffeine, coffee, yeah. to keep you productive. Yeah, yeah. At the weekend, you drink alcohol to forget the week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, I'm paraphrasing. And then you go back into it again. You know? yeah. so, so it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. Co- coffee, for me, I need coffee. I mean, in the morning, It'll mm. fix the caffeine's great. It gets you, gets you going, you know. But also, altering your consciousness is fun as well. Absolutely. God damn it. I mean, like, I, 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 I've, when I was younger, I, I mean, I tried. I've done like, you know, cocaine, yeah. ecstasy. Um, I mean, I wasn't like every weekend or every, even every month, but I like to have a good time. And yeah. It meant uh, I didn't want to never be a party people and have good experiences. Yeah. So, um, and, and that was, that was great. So now when I sit down and I have my coffee in the morning, you have that moment where your, your consciousness is slightly altered. Very similar to if you do a very, uh, deep breathing practice yeah. in yoga. Yeah. Changing our consciousness is, is, a, is a bit of escapism. It's a, Absolutely. Bit, it's a bit like watching Game of Thrones, maybe. I Absolutely. don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> and remember, getting back to evolution, we get bored very quickly, us humans, because we're very intelligent and we're, we need to be kept going and we need to have our thoughts in various ways and so on. So we get bored. So often recreational alcohol use is to do with, ah, oh, have a good time and get your mind into a different place. Mm. And we like that. Now, I, the ancients must have been taking plants as well. Cannabis was available in the ancient world. They did it for the same reason, I imagine. So it's almost as if it's built into us mm. to have periods when our minds are somewhere else. Now, the shortcut is a drug. And heroin, remember, the great study is heroin mimics the same pathway of falling in love. Can you believe it? No so, way. So they've taken people who are in love in the early, as you may remember yourself. You know when you <laughs> fall in love first. If you stick someone in, in, in an MRI machine, image their mind, their brain, with this thing called MRI, that's measuring brain activity. Bits of the brain light up. If you show a photograph of the person you have a crush on or whatever or you're in love with, the same part of the brain lights up if you give someone heroin. So, and that buzz you get from heroin then is a bit like falling in love. Isn't it strange? So, so drugs are a shortcut. 
the trouble is they can be too strong and they can overdo it and the addiction thing kicks in of course which is something else that's a big concern for us all remember and some are prone to addiction um the healthier way is yoga or <laughs> mindfulness or or being in a choir that's a marvelous thing because mm. your mind goes somewhere else when you're singing you know music actually to be honest is is a great thing for this because and the reason is you're not spending your time worrying about paying the bills or why that guy has given out to me and work or whatever, you know. So, mm. so we need we need it as a, as a species. We need we need time out of our minds, basically, is the idea. But the, the, this is interesting because the communal side of of, of yoga, um, for example, we do chanting. We chant an om, and it's very simple. It's just one syllable and one note, and we do that. And it's a bit like um, being in church, but you don't need to know the words. <laughs> yeah, or singing a, a football song and uh, when you're watching the game, and. When you do that, initially there's a social awkwardness of it. You know, what the hell is this all about? But then you start to look forward to it because yeah. it's like you're singing together, but you don't need to be able to sing. That's the, and I, I, I found now music and singing is, is being, I see it a lot more in yoga in Ireland. People are doing that. People are meeting up for what they call kirtans, which is basically a choir. Is that right? You yeah. sit around and you, and you sing. Yeah. Whereas before, if you said to someone, oh, come along to local choir practice. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it not doesn't quite sound as cool feeling. as like, oh, kirtan yoga, that sounds a bit yeah. mystic. Right. Um, but that, that thing of doing something together is... Um, I think we don't maybe value that enough. It's so important. I mean, again, we're, we evolved to be social, to be together with our fellow human beings. Mm. Uh, and you do it in various ways, on a football team, in a choir, mm. down the boozer, if you want, whatever it is. And now you feel this is fulfilling your, your self-actualization in a way, you know. Mm. So our bodies are craving this in a way, you know. And any of these examples are kind of fulfilling what's a basic need I suppose that goes a long way back through evolution I suppose you know? mm. and I do think that um, the music one is interesting so there's this great thing called flow you probably know this yeah. that's a big goal in some ways of all these things like a flow, flow. State. yeah, a flow yeah. State. yeah. Now, and we all know what it's like you know and so I, when I'm writing my stuff, I sometimes I get this flow. It feels great, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and you're transported somewhere else, and and I know it's got to be good for you. Let's face it, hasn't it? You know. So yeah. maybe a lot of this is about achieving flow, and and the shortcut, the chemical induced flow. Maybe that's okay now and again because mm. where life is stressful enough as it is, isn't it? Why not yeah. have a pint on the Friday or smoke a joint or whatever it is that you want to do? You know. So yeah. so, so I'm I'm never um, I'm very liberal when it comes to these things in a way because mm. it, whatever gets you through the night, the famous phrase you know I'm, I'm a firm fan of that the dangers though we must be aware of them and addiction is awful and, and obviously the teenagers we worry about this aspect of it you know but, yeah. but in general for a consenting adult over the age of 21 what, what what's the harm in some of these things when you talked about like in your in your book about criminolo criminology and that ties in with the drugs as well because I, I i feel like i had this conversation with someone recently who referred they referred to someone as a junkie and i i kind of took uh, objection to this and said you know, you shouldn't really, and they said in a very degrading way, like, oh, they're a, they're a junkie. And I thought, you know, that that's someone who was a baby like you once, and maybe they weren't loved or held or told they were great, and, and you simply were. And that could easily be you. And I, I, I think that, um, so that, that love that they were missing, or maybe for financial reasons, they need to c commit crime, to, to, to and then once they're addicted to, to drugs, they need the money for the drugs. And... Um, that's why I think it's so important that, and I had Russell Brand saying this. You know, we treat um, people with drug addictions as a, a health um, concern, not a criminal. Yeah, absolutely. Offense. It's not a failure. The the, the, the bottom line, and yeah. if you talk to experts on this and addiction experts, a drug addict that's not a, a flaw. You know, that's just bad luck, or it's the wrong decision being made. A set of circumstances propel you into that state. So sympathy has to be the response to anybody mm -hmm. who's got an addiction. Any other response is damn stupid. If you lock them up in jail, that may, like the Portuguese are ahead of us on this, yeah. remember. So, see, it's, it's, it's got to be treated like a... Do you mind a, explaining a, what the Portuguese did? Well, the Portuguese decriminalised, in a sense. There's nobody in jail in Portugal for drugs. So if you're caught with heroin, you go into a rehab programme and you look after. It's, it's, very, it's fantastic, you know. And the net effect, a big decrease in heroin use, remember, <laughs> and less deaths from heroin as a result. And did you know, legalisation of cannabis, the use goes down. And one reason is it's not so cool, you know. 
It's just true. So the kids are. Oh, no, it's That's so funny. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like, you know, <laughs> buying an extra packet of M&Ms or whatever. So it's an interesting. So, so, so society, we have to change society's view of drugs. It's just ridiculous. It's been very, mm. you know, ill-conceived. And it's not working, let's face it. Kevin. I mean, the other great statistic I quote in that part of the book is, um, you're getting a sneak preview because of the book. Mm. The US, the, the DEA, which is the federal agency, it's $50 billion a year they spend on dr- trying to limit drug use. It fails. Basically. They catch 10% of it. Okay. Mm. If they tax it, they'd make 50 billion on top. So there'd be a hundred billion saving if cannabis and other more milder drugs, and I'm not advocating legalizing every drug, but you could legalize certain drugs and see this hundred billion benefit to the exchequer. Mm. Use that money to help addicts or mm. to, you know, provide information and that kind of end of it. And the Portuguese are kind of that that's their method in a sense. They're using, you know, a liberal approach and it's working. You mm. see, it's great. So, so that, that's, I think the future has to be what, where the Portuguese have led us, in a sense. Now, there are the detractors and the the moral majority give out about this, and there are some downsides to what's happening in Portugal. It's not all fantastic. And Holland is the other country, by the way, that began to get more liberal about these things. But I think we have to move in that direction. Mm. You you said something um, I heard on another podcast or on a TED Talk that you did, and that was science, something like science only cares about the truth or science wants the truth. And what I'm interested in, we were talking before we started recording was we live in a, a world now where everyone has an opinion, they can broadcast their opinion instantly and often that dialogue can get misunderstood because it's in short snippets without context and tone. In As a professor and someone who cares about the truth and through the scientific process you make a point, someone else may disagree with it, you re-examine it and eventually come to maybe something what you consider to be the truth. Do Have you experienced, um, what's the word, best way to say this, but the uh, the climate of like political correctness? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you're asking a great question, Dickon, to be honest. So as soon as you speak out in the media like I do, I, I love communicating science because I think it's our job as scientists to tell everybody because first of all, people are interested. Secondly, they're paying for my wage as the taxpayer, you know, pays for me as an academic. So I should be telling them, you know, and then especially with health issues, there's a massive appetite for this, you see. But there's always the detractors who'll come after you, you know. You might call them haters in, in, the, <laughs> in the ground. It's usually one of my jealous colleagues. No, I'm only kidding, no. It's anonymous. <laughs> um, but you've got to be ready, and to be a scientist is to be criticised. We bring it on. You know, I mean, science advances because of scepticism, remember. So, um, and then the evidence should eventually be built up to support the bottom line. And it's then it's compelling, you know, and smoking is the great example. There are many detractors against that saying, oh, smoking doesn't cause cancer, you know. And tobacco companies are often behind that, of course. Mm-hmm. But then the truth emerges and hey, presto, bang, smoking causes cancer. So like the big issues at the moment where the PC mob can come after is like vaccine, the anti-vaxxers you see, that that's a big one for me. That's a tragedy of the highest order. Vaccines are the best invention medically ever. They, they've saved millions and millions of lives. Anybody who doesn't vaccinate their child is irresponsible because they're putting that child at risk of dying of a very serious disease. Secondly, that child gets infected and infects an old guy who dies and he didn't want to get infected, did he? You know, So the anti-vaxxers come after you. Uh, the climate change people are there as well. They'll be saying, oh, there's no evidence for this. And very often that's your your right wing in America are, are denying climate change. And that's nonsense because there's 99% consensus among scientists, which is very rare. <laughs> there's, there's always some scientists disagree, remember. you know, when, when I go to a conference and, and the questions come up, there's always someone to put, put, put up at the boot in. But that's what you want. You want a disputation. You want to yeah. you, you be, in fact, to be a scientist is to expose yourself to criticism professionally. And you got to listen to it. So you're, you could be right. Like, maybe I'm wrong, you know, and, and I'm going to, but here's my evidence. I'm, I'm going to show you. My, and then you go, oh, sorry, you're right. You know, mm. so it's a process. But when you, when you get outside the scientific world, and people have agendas, then, then, then this happens. And, and from where I'm sitting, bring it on. And if I get something wrong, you're right, I got that wrong, you know, and I apologise. And here, here's the evidence. And you've got to be open to, to taking on board those criticisms. That's so, he- that's so healthy. To Just on, on that as well, anti-vax, there's no link between uh, vaccinations and autism. God, no. We've stopped putting those in the same sentence you know, even now because okay. there's absolutely zero evidence of that link. And that was a travesty of the highest order. A guy called Andrew Wakefield did that, and he he's now living in some in America with conspiracy theorists or whatever. Uh, no, that that was a shocker. Now that has directly given rise to many deaths from measles, and measles makes kids go deaf. Remember, but before the measles vaccine was approved in the sixties, there were special hospitals in London for deaf kids who became deaf because of measles. His 
crappy, dodgy paper that was retracted, remember, by the journal. Oh, really? It was shown to have conflicts of interest all over the place. Uh, that has given rise to a public health scare. So so it's a really bad one. And of course, parents are terrified of these things, and you can understand why it would give rise to anxieties and so on. But there's no evidence. Zero. The Swedes were the first. Now, that could have been true. The paper gets published. Everybody sees the paper. The Swedes are the first to try and replicate it because science is about replication. If you see something in your lab, can I show it in my lab? And if I can, that means it's probably true. The Swedes look at millions of kids, no evidence. So mm-hmm. the, 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 it unravels very quickly then. But the trouble is, if you're a young mother and you've got a baby in your arms and you see, even see a one line of, oh, I don't like the look of that, you know. And then, of course, the anti-vaxxers are very clever. They've got ways to use bots and social media. This is the, it's a, it's mm. a big thing, you know. Mm. So, so, so my job is always to say, you're wrong as an anti-vaxxer. You're definitely wrong. And even though you think you're right, I disagree with you. And then reasonable people can hope, look at the evidence and, and begin to make their own minds up and realise what it is. So you, you, that's people outside of, say, the um, anti-vaxxers, for example, like... Um, disputing certain things but do you do you have you noticed the change in the people you're actually teaching like the students in terms of certain things you have to phrase things a certain way have you noticed that at all not really i mean if you come to do a science degree you got to get with the program in a sense you know Mm. and and if you're going to say something to me you've got to back it up with evidence and that's the way the world is you know Mm. um i guess you got you got to be more careful about other issues in society and 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 i've got a chapter in the book why do you still think men are from mars and women are from venus which Mm. and the the overlap between men and women there's almost no difference between us but there is a physical difference obviously but in terms of say mathematical ability there's no difference and there was thought to be remember that, that was because girls weren't getting educated it was it was the patriarchy was keeping them back you know mm. so issues of gender and those issues are very important because they're very serious in many ways so you got to be more cer- not circumspect but more respectful of people i suppose is what i would say there you mm. know? but but in terms of other things like vaccination like i would never have a, i haven't been in a situation where someone in my one of my immunology lectures went i don't believe in vaccination it's almost like in a, in a religion class saying i'm an atheist i suppose <laughs> or something like that you know? <laughs> Not quite. We don't mean that. Yeah. So they've bought into it already. These students, hopefully. So I haven't really seen much of a much of a, much of it in that direction. So what stage? So you haven't named the book yet because obviously it's you're going through copyright stuff. But what stage are you at now with it? Is it done? Yes, nearly done. Uh, it's a lot of work. This particular book, it's all about using science mm. to inform the very things we're talking about. You know, so I got to make sure the science is correct. I did endless cross referencing and checking facts and all that. So I'm at that stage. I've just done the second last chapter. I've done all the referencing now mm. one chapter to go i've sent each chapter to a real expert by the way and i remember that one risk is given I'm, I'm not an expert on climate change am i am an immunologist you know now i'm a scientist so i can bring my scientific know-how to the debate i suppose but i've sent each chapter to a, a real expert they're sending me their comments i sent the crime chapter to the former governor of cloverfield prison who's a friend of mine so oh, he's wow. going to come back now with comments on the on the crime now my main reason there is are there any facts that are wrong because remember you get things wrong and scientists you misquote something or you get the wrong end of the stick. So, so is it factually correct? And secondly, is it egregiously offensive to anybody? Because I don't want to offend anybody either. You know? mm. So I'm being careful in terms of um, some of the phrasing and so on to make sure it's, it's purely based on science, you see. So, so that will be done next week, I hope. And did you have um, to do the whole process for the other two books as well? I mean, one was the children's book. Yeah, so. yeah I did. No, that, I did, actually. But the first book I did, I sent the chapters out to experts and they came back. And, and there were mistakes, I hate to admit it. And I was very happy to correct those errors. Uh, the kids one, I sent that to more like school teachers and, and educators because it's an educational book. As well. And again, there were a few errors. So <laughs> like every, with the best wit in the world, Kevin, I'm sure you've come across this yourself and if you've done yeah. it, then you do make mistakes, you know. Yeah. So, so you got to correct them. And if you're a scientist, you go, yep, hands up. That was an error. I read mm. something wrong. I read a, That's why you got to cross-reference because you might read one report another one contradicts it so which 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 is the truth and you try to read the stuff and come to some kind of, some kind of bottom line each chapter by the way has a musical quote at the start that captures the essence of the chapter oh nice and my bottom you, you line play, don't you? I, I do it that's one yeah. of my hobbies and my bottom line you know so so for example um with the vaccine chapter that's obvious vaccinate your kids the evidence is compelling everybody agrees you know all the health agencies all the doctors say vaccinate your children. you know the, the the start of that chapter is, is, is an Ian Jury quote it's a bit controversial this mm-hmm. so Ian Jury had polio you know yeah he had one leg sh- 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 yeah when he was a kid in, in London yeah. in the 50s he went swimming in a local swimming pool mm. the virus was in it's a waterborne disease lots of kids got polio from that swimming pool and he was one of them mm. And he wrote a song called Spasticus Autisticus. 
you see. You know, it's very controversial because the spasticity is part of having polio, you know. Yeah. And the artisticus is the autism question. So I quote from that song. And they might cut right. that out because <laughs> either for offending people or copyright reasons. Right, yeah, yeah. But I've tried to capture the essence of the, each chapter in the... Um, in an opening quote and then, a, and then a bottom line so to hopefully that will that will resonate with the readers yeah well if, and is there a release date september is the goal at the moment yeah so um and if people it, if people want to oh sorry go on but well, the thing is it's, it'll be with the it goes to the publisher next and they start editing and they have their which is wonderful by the way gail are great the publishers and they'll mm. make recommendations and suggestions and then there'll be illustrations done by an artist hopefully and then it'll be ready for the christmas market so you can, that's nice. where you make most of your sales <laughs> you see so i get you my, uh, my my current fear is they'll go oh we don't like having this can you go back to the drawing board or, you never know mm-hmm. you know but at the moment that, that's the target and if people want to, uh, I was going to say witness you, but if people want to go and see you and see you, you speak, because I've watched both your TED Talks and uh, and countless things, uh, you, videos of you online, but if they wanted to see you speak and they weren't an actual student, yes. are you t- doing a tour or I something? I do. I often <laughs> give public lectures. I'm, I'm giving a talk in Bray, my hometown, in uh, about four weeks okay. near, near the Sea Life Centre there. So if you look at that online... So that's the beginning of March then? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I think it's three weeks away, for instance. Mm-hmm. So I'm also giving a talk in Kinsale, another places asked me to speak so so i got asked to talk about these books and things so i'm often uh, available for these sorts of semi gigs i suppose you know because again my mission um is is to be a scientist but it's also to tell people about science mm. that, that's a key part of what i do we need see we need we need the fun like america has neil degrasse tyson for astrophysics so we need someone who's like entertaining and, and also intelligent so thank you for doing that that's the <laughs> for bringing that that's um trick, yeah. luke that is an hour that was an absolute pleasure. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you very much. It was great. Thanks for <laughs> great questions. Superb. Thank you. Woohoo. Done. Great. There you go. Great job. That was- Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Loads of knowledge bombs there. If you did, feel free to share it with a friend, either digitally or verbally. Also, please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps for the rankings. If you just write something nice, maybe, and if you're going to put some stars, why not make them five? If there's anything less than that, let me know and maybe we can talk about it, you know, for a five-year way. If you'd like to come on a retreat, then we're doing one April 3rd to 5th this year, 2020. Myself, Rach, 12 others. So we have three places left. Yes, three places left. And uh, you can come along for 499. You get loads of stuff, yoga, we do meditation, we do uh, some walks in the countryside. We're going to do some hot tubs, some sauna, and it's going to be very pleasant at one of the top retreat centers in the world, according to The Guardian, no less. So come along, get in touch. If you've got any questions, you can find me online anywhere, Kevin Ball Yoga. Hope you enjoyed that podcast, and I'm looking forward to catching up with you again next week.